0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the intersection between food, agriculture, and competition. Learn how a chicken raising contest in the 1940s led to the poultry industry we have today.
0: And they were gonna run a contest and try and develop what they would call the Chicken of Tomorrow.
1: We'll also venture into the world of agricultural video games, where a new set of tractors is making a lot of fans happy.
0: The biggest addition to 19 was the John Deere's.
2: That's what everyone was hyped for.
1: And we pay a visit to a group of Indian restaurants that aren't on the friendliest of terms.
2: Usually they wait for my restaurant, but after a long wait, they go to next door or downstairs. But this is how they do business. They completely copy whatever we do.
1: Embrace your competitive spirit and be the first to listen to new Meet and 3 episodes by subscribing now. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you're listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I speak with someone about their challenges and victories along the way to success. Today, my guest is Emily Miller. She's a fan of all things Sunrise, which in her case means an intense fixation on breakfast. I'm very curious to hear what you had for breakfast today, Emily, but she launched a Uh, the breakfast club to take people on eating tours specifically around breakfast and has just published a book of breakfast with more than 380 recipes so that's a lot of breakfast Uh, and in fact emily and i have started an event series where incredible breakfast meets incredible conversations late at night So, Emily, welcome. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy to have you here under the microscope or on the microphone where we can talk about all things sunrise and beyond daytime. Yes. Nighttime. (laughs) So before you fell in love with breakfast, you had an incredibly eclectic set of work experiences. Um, In fact, I would say you didn't really have a job. Right. (laughs) Right. And in fact, I would say you didn't really have... A career because you were doing all these amazing things that were at the intersection of fashion, art, design, um, at food and writing. So you went to FIT, and then what happened? Like, how did you trip into um, this expansive
4: role? So I've I've always been very excited about design in general, and, and that started with art. I wanted to be a cartoonist, and then I wanted to be a pastry chef, which I think maybe is where the food element came from, but I'm terrible at baking, so that did not
3: <laughs> pan out very quickly. Wait a minute, so did you cartoon your way through, like, school and high school?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, it was always, like, a weird little side thing that I loved. I just, I always really liked art. I made all these crafts. I made paper. I made cards. I just had a lot of different things that I was interested in and in Arizona in Arizona yeah and was just really excited to learn new crafts and things and looked up to all of these different people and and got really into fashion because Arizona was very lacking of that and I really needed an excuse to get out of Arizona and move to New York so (laughs) fashion is really a New York based thing. So that was the best way for me to convince my parents to let me move away and, <laughs> and do that. So went to design school and I loved it. But even in school, I was, I think, one of the only people in my class who had an internship from first semester on every semester because school to me was a stepping stone to be in New York. I liked it. I paid attention, but I knew that the real experience was in the real world. So my first internship was with Condé Nast Traveler, so I learned editorial. Then that helped set a base for a future half career in food writing <laughs> and travel writing and trend forecasting. So it's interesting. I just I try a lot of things and I follow my interests very deeply and extract as much as I can out of each of those things and try and piecemeal together a way to make money and a million (laughs) part-time jobs that create a full-time job. And and it's always shape-shifting, so. So, okay, so you you worked at Banana Republic? That was my first job in high school ever, so. What did you do? I was just, like, a salesperson, which I'm terrible at convincing people to buy things, so I (laughs) learned how to fold sweaters really well. So I see they gave you a choice. You can either, like, be on the floor convincing
3: people, or you could fold.
4: Yeah, but it was... I don't know. It's Retail experience is really important. It just, it makes you have the conversational skills that, that you need to exist in life and just helping people. And I, I liked putting together outfits for people. And even just being in sales, I wanted to be like the stylist for the store and tried to like create this weird position at like a one store Banana Republic when I was 16. So it, I've always tried to like push the limits of what happens at companies and carve out this space where I feel like I can learn the most. And so, um, you came and then
3: there was the freelance writing, but there's also this passion for design. Like who or what were your design influences? Because when I follow the things that interest you, they're obscure and funny and incredibly entertaining. And I always want to know like where in your brain those come from.
4: Um, I really I wish I could answer that. In college, I we had to create all these mood boards and pull images and really create these worlds that inspire the entire collection that you're about to design and draw. And I always had like the weirdest combinations of things. Like one I did on The Corpse Bride and... The Corpse Bride. The Corpse Bride movie by Tim Burton. And I drew all of the models with their heads cut off and like holding their heads. And um, my professor was really confused by that, (laughs) but I thought it was so cool. It was so boring to just like draw regular models. I've always wanted to bring people into a space and create an entire world surrounding an idea. So looking at a picture, it it makes you feel a certain way. And I, I like being able to express how I feel and like what's going on in my head through these design images and in all these different facets. So fashion writing, whatever it is, it's just to like create a picture and express who I am. So you do love to go deep and you really love to go
3: obscure. And I'm curious, like what is take us down like a particular a whole rabbit hole in your mind? Like let's say Nigerian breakfast, you know, grabs you. Like then what happens?
4: Um so well since we had Ethiopian breakfast yesterday, maybe we can talk about that. So I what we made yesterday was kibe, which is like a spiced clarified butter and just scrambled eggs and some peppers, tomatoes, onions, all these different things. And it's this really simple dish, but the clarified butter that's infused with these spices just makes it so special. And there's another really cool Ethiopian breakfast dish called fur fur, which is um, torn injera and it's like mixed and like soaked in this really good sauce. And I, I just loved diving deep into these countries and, like, learning about what makes them tick in the morning. So it wasn't me just, like, researching on the internet what it is. It was me, like, diving down crazy rabbit holes on YouTube, finding, I mean, Ethiopian food bloggers who are making stuff, like, not in English, but just kind of watching their techniques and how they're creating these things online. And there was one... Um, I think it was Iranian recipe I was working on, and there I kept seeing this like really colorful cool packet with this really beautiful image on it, and I really wanted to figure out what it was because it was the missing ingredient in the recipe I had. so I reverse image searched it and like <laughs> screen capped it from this video and found out it was just yeast so it's it's cool. I love the way that other cultures use art and food and connect those things together so the entire book was a giant rabbit hole into every single dish and country and culture.
3: Because you actually, you covered 80 countries.
4: Yes. Yeah.
3: And how did you pick that number? How did you decide to be so international?
4: I wanted to represent every culture that has breakfast. I mean, every culture has breakfast, so it was really hard to narrow it down, but I just took the Google list of every country in existence and worked my way from there. Like it took the book took 3 years and it was uh, 90% research. So
3: Okay, so you do Google list, you did a Google list of every
4: country, then what happened? And then I just started ticking off each country. I started Googling and like looking up each one and based on my knowledge from traveling to a lot of different regions, kind of figured out which recipes are most important to like which regions and i mean if i didn't do that i wouldn't have masuni from the maldives which is a staple breakfast from there and would what be is really it? sad not to include um it's tuna like flake tuna with coconut and lime juice and it's so good and you eat it with roti or like a buttery like pratha like something like that and it it's awesome. I made it and I was like coconut and tuna. I don't. I don't know. And then tried it and it was amazing. <laughs> what else falls into that category of like I would have never thought
3: of breakfast from this crazy place?
4: Um, Sri Lanka has a lot of really cool, really difficult recipes <laughs> um, because. A lot of them are street food based. Actually, like throughout Asia and pretty much everywhere else in the world, breakfast is an on the go thing, it's street food. So, recreating street food in your home can be very difficult, but really tried to reverse engineer the best that I could. Same with Singapore. Some Singaporean recipes, like when I was living there, like I would go to hawker centers every morning, and the way that they created this stuff was just like magic. And these people have been doing it for Decades, Like the kaya toast. Yeah, like kaya toast. um, And can you describe what kaya toast is? Yeah, that I think is one of my favorite breakfasts that I didn't know existed until a few years ago. And I mean, it's popular throughout all of Southeast Asia. It's um, a coconut sugar mixed with pandan, which is this leaf found really only in the Philippines and Southeast Asia. And it creates this... It's so hard to describe. I want to say it's umami, but I'm not exactly sure. But it just like balances the entire jam and gives it this like acidy electric green kind of color. But it's very muted. And that part is very exciting to me. You like the it's, color. It's the color. <laughs> I mean, it's also the flavor. It's amazing. But kaya toast is assembled and made with griddled bread, so you can usually see those like grill marks on it. Lots of butter on each side, and then a generous spread of kaya jam in the middle, and you have it with these um, not, I mean, maybe like two-minute eggs. I have a recipe for it in the book, and honestly, it took me a dozen eggs to figure out how to get it exactly the soupy consistency that they have in Asia, but it's like it's cooked enough, but also it's not, <laughs> so it becomes this like soupy thing that you mix with soy sauce and white pepper, and you dip the kaya toast in there, and you have it with um, teh tarik, which is like a pulled tea. You kind of like froth it between two cups, and and that's why it's
3: called pulled. I always wondered, like it's so it's pulled because it's tossed cup to cup.
4: Yeah, it's like giant ribbons, and when you go to hawker centers. Uh, You'll see, I mean, it's it's complete magic watching them do these things. They pour from, like, the highest altitude possible just to get the most froth. And ordering coffee in Singapore and Malaysia is, like, this very personalized, ritualistic thing, like, very much pre-Starbucks complicated ordering, and it's all slang, and I mess it up every single time, even though I try and do
3: it. So how many of the 80 countries have you actually traveled to? Because I know you you love to travel.
4: Yeah, um, probably, like, probably a dozen. I mean, not so much out of, out of the 80, but again, like, I've been to a few different countries in the Middle East, and... Everyone eats the same breakfast there. So, So what's the classic breakfast Um, in Israel? I mean, there's three or four types of shakshuka in the book. So, it originated in Yemen, but is really, I feel like, gained the most popularity through the Israeli breakfast culture that has kind of like bled through the entire world, which is really exciting because now people are aware of this incredible breakfast dish. You want to describe what shakshuka is? Yeah, it's um, stewed tomatoes mixed um, with peppers and onions and all this stuff. And it's really like slow cooked. So you get a little bit of sweetness from the peppers and the onions. And you make these little, um, you hollow out little pieces, little area of the sauce to like, crack an egg in it and it perfectly nestles in there and it just makes this like perfect plopping sound when <laughs> when you crack it in and then you cover it and the eggs cook and yeah.
3: And so what are the varieties? Like the varieties are based on um, vegetables that are available yeah. or, or spices that are available?
4: Yeah. Um, when I was in Israel I was with a Moroccan family and they were like die hard, use peppers. Some people are like absolutely not. What are you doing? Um... Some people scramble the eggs into the shakshuka in little areas. So, I mean, it's breakfast. These are all home-cooked, like, personal family recipes. So, if you don't like something just personally, that gets passed down through your family. And that is what the authority is, which is why this book took so long. Because I would ask two people from the same country, even the same region, and they would be diehard Opposites (laughs) Opposites <laughs> on how I should be including this recipe in the book. Do you feel like you're going to take a lot of flack for that? Like, how could you? A bunch I'm, of how s- could you? I'm so excited about it. I want everybody <laughs> to tell me all of their recipes and why the recipes in this book are, are not how they made them. Um, but I... I stand with my research. Every, every country that I included, there's at least one person from that country who helped look over the recipes, make sure everything was spelled correctly or just correct in the context. So is there any breakfast that is absolutely
3: the breakfast of choice worldwide? Like any one thing?
4: Cereal <gasps> is the number one breakfast. Without a doubt, throughout the world.
3: Yeah. Really? And like frosted flakes made its way from, you know, America to Russia or?
4: Yeah, essentially. I mean, it's not just like corn flakes, it's more hot cereal. So in China, the number one breakfast food, I mean, it's congee, which is like rice porridge, but then also modern day, it's like a quick. Porridge cereal, like a hot cereal. So where we would have it with milk, and it'd be more flakes. And that exists all over the world as well. Every country has some version of porridge, hot cereal, cold cereal, thing like that, because it's filling, it's comforting, it's easy, it's inexpensive.
3: So why do you think that in so much of the world, uh, breakfast is on the go? Like, I think of breakfast as something definitively at home. Like, you know, reach in my fridge. I like I have a, a very typical breakfast every day. And actually, it changes year over year. Like, for years, it was like a fried egg. And then for years, it was a scrambled egg. And then for years, it's been Ezekiel um, cereal with milk. Like, I will go years at a time. Uh, but it's always at home. And I always feel like, going out I like going out for breakfast actually but um why around the world is it not something people do at home
4: um people love to sleep <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you, that can't be the answer I I, I want to say it is uh, to get like 10 extra minutes of sleep I mean it's it's out of convenience some people don't have kitchens in the way we do or like can just run to the store and buy whatever and it's a lot easier and actually cheaper to buy on the street here we have a very different type of street food culture in general not even just for breakfast than anywhere else in the world but in mexico city people are commuting to work and there are lines like crazy outside of the local chiaquiles like tamale stand and everyone has their favorite everyone orders it a certain way and then they go off to work and eat their breakfast, ok. I am not sure you just made a great argument
3: for like saving time if they have to wait online.
4: Well, right. but mm-hmm. it's but they love uh, it. still faster. yeah, or easier? Yeah, I love street food breakfast. But then I think that's your favorite breakfast though, the chiqui chiquiles. yeah i I love well, I've, I love Mexico City so much. So I'm a little biased towards all of their food. So and do you make yourself a different type of breakfast
3: every day like for example, we had that really cool Ethiopian breakfast yesterday, which is a revelation to me because I'd never had a clarified butter you know um, tossed scrambled egg situation um, Do you like you know change it up?
4: Um, on the or do you
3: actually honestly secretly just have coffee?
4: I really love I need coffee every morning and I get excited about the ritual of it I hand grind my coffee in the morning it's part of my morning routine I like the smell of it the sound of it really annoys my sister because I wake (laughs) her up but it's fine she should get up um and you do a pour over yeah yeah Chemex um and my sister and I really love cooking in general and experimenting with different spices and things so the the curiosity has always been been there to kind of create these dishes inspired by travels. I always bring back spices, but to be honest, like I love the most simple breakfast. I grew up in Arizona, so avocados were super important to pretty much every meal and avocado toast is something I've been eating since I was little so I that, think to that's me, gonna
3: that you'll maintain a love for that even as it goes wildly out of fashion
4: it's frustrating that it became so trendy because it's such a personal food for me I love eating it but people are asking me what I eat for breakfast now and they're like oh that's basic but <laughs> it's it's not like I grew up with it to me like that's a traditional food, but, and it's comforting. Um, but typically like this morning I made like five minute, um, boiled eggs with half an avocado and I put the Trader Joe's everything seasoning on it. Cause that's like, <laughs> it's my favorite seasoning. Is that like bagel spices? It's just like everything bagel topping, but in a jar has a spice mix and it's completely brilliant. And I go through a lot of it. <laughs> and what other,
3: um, in order to have, like, breakfast in a minute at home, like, what are the things that you have on hand?
4: Um, if, if I need to run, I'm, like, I'm just eating coffee. I'll have really good, a good piece of toast with, like, peanut butter. I'm trying to take adaptinogens regularly now, so I've been taking lion's mane mushroom powder for more, like, cognitive health and focus, and then ashwagandha for stress and just overall wellness but truly they taste like dirt and this is one of those like painful wellness things for me (laughs) that I'm hoping will pay off in the long run I do feel better when I take them it could be placebo but I'm gonna go with it because it makes me feel good but I've been secretly disguising them like you would for a dog to give a dog a pill like in my food (laughs) so I'll put it in like a salad dressing or um I'll take a tablespoon of almond or peanut butter and add some water, mix it in, or with tahini on toast, something like that. I I, I like adapting the adoptogens. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that
3: that they're more palatable. Well, you uh, talk about your morning rituals on Instagram, and I'm curious how you came up with this idea of exposing and exploring your morning ritual.
4: Yeah, I constantly get frustrated with the illusion of life on Instagram, and I was just in a weird place a few years ago and wanted to be super real and express exactly my thoughts as real, as boring, as whatever they are, so I I thought the best way of doing that was just kind of documenting and timestamping just general random thoughts, things I'm reading, what I'm eating for breakfast even deeper kind of esoteric questions that i'm asking myself that i think a lot of people in creative industries and and really any industry face at some point so just trying to like find my group and reach out so using instagram in a way that was best serving me versus me trying to like beat an algorithm or doing something like that i just i i'm done i'm really tired of that i just want to be who i am and whoever wants to follow me for that is great. (laughs)
3: Um, I love that, of course, because I think there's so much uh, unreality. And the more real people we see on Instagram, the more we all feel free to be ourselves, which is the goal, because I don't think you find any type of satisfaction, however you define satisfaction, if half of your time or whatever amount of time you're on social media is spent projecting something that is not true we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about the questions that that plague you the things that inspire you the things that you want the things that you need Uh, so stay with us and we'll hear more from emily miller
1: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. EMI is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Cotbalt Cave Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit EMIUSA.com.
2: Hey there, seems like you like podcasts. My name is Eli Sussman. I'm a chef and restaurant owner, and I've got a great podcast right here on Heritage Radio Network called The Lime. On my show, I interview chefs and restaurateurs about the trajectory of their career. It's a one-on-one conversation where we talk about where it all started, to where they are cooking now, and everything in between. You can find the line everywhere you get your podcasts and on heritageradio network.org. They could hear our bones slamming against the pit of the ravine.
3: Welcome back. You're listening to Speaking Broadly with me, Dana Cowan, and my guest today, Emily Miller, and we were just about to veer off into um, deep thoughts because we were talking about <laughs> rituals and some of the things that um, Emily exposes on Instagram to just communicate, like how life is not as perfect as Instagram usually tells it tells you it is. When you were looking to figure out. What to do? What to do next? You tried a whole bunch of different things, and uh, eventually came up with uh, the Breakfast Club. But even from the Breakfast Club, you've moved on, and I'm and I'm wondering, as you've been thinking, dreaming, exploring, like what have the challenges been along the way, either in motivation or loneliness?
4: Um, staying motivated has never no i'm i'm good at being motivated and getting things done when i am working towards this like semi intangible idea so i always need this impossible project or seemingly impossible at the time goal to work towards and problem solve and create i love not just coming up with ideas but really executing on them like that's the fun part is bringing them to life so through that process I mean, it's it's defeating like there are a lot of ups and downs and it's a it's for sure a process. And I'm a solo founder for essentially all of my projects thus far. I was a freelance writer. I traveled by myself a lot. So loneliness is definitely something that I had to deal with and and cope with.
3: So well, I guess I asked you two questions at once, which is always a bad idea. So um, let's take the the notion of motivation and break it down a little bit. So you had an idea when we first met. You were doing trends on trends,
4: yeah,
3: uh, and you were old a tra- school. <laughs> you, were, you were a trend forecaster, yeah, and and then you did a bunch of video for Food and Wine. Yes. I was looking back at that oh and thinking, my oh my god, gosh. early Emily, <laughs> it was so good. That was really fun. But how do you decide what? to work on and then you said there's defeats and successes along the way like can you just
4: walk me through any of the projects doesn't have to be trends on trends and how that played out yeah um they all kind of started out of rejection, like trends on trends started because I wanted to do this like really large trend forecasting piece about how lunch counter designed restaurants are coming back and no publication I was writing for would take it because they didn't believe me. And then a few years later, all these lunch counter designs and really large wraparound bars started coming out. And it was more just out of me wanting to have my own voice and share that through words and research and art. So I worked with um, a lot of different illustrators and some freelance writers to help research and create these large, long-form trend reports. Like, one was about convenience food, one was about 1970s in food, and these were all, like, four years ago. And they're still, they're huge now. I mean, if you look at the 70s, I love the
3: 70s, the influence of 70s typography, 70s color, 70s design. So you were totally on that. And then convenience stores, I'm really fascinated by The Goods Mart, which is a reinvention of um, the convenience store by Rachel Krupa, and taking all the old crappy convenience store foods and swapping them out for um, healthier versions. And there's so much going on in convenience stores. Yeah,
4: 7-Eleven is doing the same thing now, too. And they're going to come out with, I think it was like 21,000 new concept stores that are featuring smaller local products. So grocery stores, as we know them, are changing, and places like Goodmart, Goodsmart, are helping to force that change. But I think that's going to happen in fast food. It happens across the – it's happening across the board because people really care about that stuff. So you had these ideas, and where did you find the illustrators? Um, Research and Instagram, and a lot through Instagram, actually, especially when you're traveling, that's this, like – weird direct line to everyone that exists in the world in an art and creative space and originally Instagram was intended for artists so when I was traveling around I mean I would just write so many people and got coffee with so many people and that's where breakfast club inspiration came from it was out of loneliness and out of being really frustrated by how monotone I felt media events and And things were like, there were only editors there and there was this weird purpose to them. Like it didn't feel connective or inspiring or like really even being able to connect with the brand or purpose, like why we were there. Like, is everyone supposed to feature the same thing? Like, how is that possible? There is a million different perspectives on this but no one was challenging that. So I wanted to show that farmers are really important to the conversation. Chefs are really important, editors, of course artists, everyone who has a creative opinion towards food, travel, design, I wanted to give them a seat to the table and and have an excuse to gather these people. And the best way I felt to do that was through a really cool meal and reached out to these incredible chefs just from a very genuine creative place saying like, this is not meant to be a PR event. It's really meant to be for you and for the peers and industry friends and just for you to take a break from the really fancy tasting money you're making and make everybody eggs or your (laughs) favorite breakfast like it's supposed to be casual i mean i had i would make have custom ceramics made i would do go absolutely crazy with the table design. Like one time I put dirt on the tables and like planted stuff like right on the table. It, it got, it got really weird for a long time, but that was what was fun to me is I could reinvent this gathering in so many different ways in so many different cultures with so many different people. And it's just expanded from that. So how did you um, weed out the, the, type of things you
3: didn't want to do because you ended up trends on trends and then you did breakfast club, but you must've had like a million ideas that were all fighting for space up there. Yeah. They, they still kind of are.
4: I, I keep, I just start working on them. I start working on a lot of things and I just will be, I'll have my focus and like what is really driving me right now and what kind of exists that I need to like put attention towards But then I'll have all these other irons on the fire that when I feel like the timing is right in the market or for me, I'll activate it and just try and test it out and and see how it happens. But every new project comes completely new ideas and new directions. So I just store all this stuff in my head and let it grow a little bit and wait until it's ready to kind of put it out into the world. And when it comes out, is it pretty much fully formed or do they evolve a lot over I time? I mean, absolutely not. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, they 100% evolve. I I am very particular. So when I do bring something out, I want it to be like at a level that makes me feel comfortable, like bringing it to even my friends and family. So, and Where do you think the seeds
3: of that sort of uh, artistic perfectionism were born? Like, is it something that you've witnessed or that you've just developed?
4: I'm not. My mom always said, like, I, I want everything yesterday. So maybe it's just. Being able to create things like I want to create things, but in my head, I'm already 10 steps ahead. So I can see a bigger vision for something and know what I need to do to kind of create that small scale to begin with. So maybe it's just like always being ahead that helps me know exactly what I need to start to have it all in place at first because I want to have the quickest trajectory possible. So I organize everything as best as I can. And honestly, I talk to people. I talk to people all the time. And people can take your ideas that way. People can like do whatever they want with them. But if you're not talking to people, like that's kind of how I fine-tune a lot of my projects. Like I'll have the most random ideas. And like... Unintentionally, but I guess intentionally. Now that I'm talking about it, like shop it around to friends and people who I look up to, and they're like, "That maybe could work if you do it like this or that or this," and then that helps me kind of think. So I'm I'm baking all these ideas in my head so that when it comes out, it it is somewhat fine tuned. Your head sounds like a very very large um,
3: commercial oven right now. It's, yeah, I'm <laughs> okay with that. <laughs> But there have been challenges along the way and you've hit sort of emotional road bumps and um, and had to overcome those. Do you want to just talk about like the few years that have been super hard? Because all of this sounds, you know, contrary to what we we're saying about Instagram and being honest and real. This is honest and real, but it's all like the shiny side.
4: It is the shiny side. Um, it's it's being stuck in, in my head a lot, I think, because I do have a lot of ideas um, I have to put myself out there in a really, real, raw way to just be completely judged. Like, my heart's on my sleeve. I am a huge risk taker. I'll think of something and just do it before I overanalyze it and think about all of the things that people could say about it. Or I, I try and be brave with everything that I do. But it's, but is it's hard. A, is there a cost to that? Um, yeah, it's, it's lonely, it's hard to. And what does loneliness mean? Like, what does that feel like? I it's, it's isolated. I mean, I travel alone. I I work from home alone all day. And I think that's why I get so excited to talk to people about the ideas in my head and and show people what's going on because I, I don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of a lot of the time. And it's, it's hard to refine what I'm doing that way. And then I feel like things get really clogged up because I can't find clarity and when i can't find clarity i just become really manic about stuff and nervous and i i like everything to be very organized in my head and on paper so when things get really messy because i can't see a clear direction it kind of it backfires on me a lot so i've learned that i i am a social person i need to be around people and constantly talking creative projects with other people like their projects anything like I love talking to people about their ideas and figuring out how to like make that exist in the world too. It's just conversation. but so,
3: what's the role of home? because you we work from home and you've had a lot of home switches, so and you travel a lot. so what what's like the meaning of place to you and home?
4: yeah, it's i have I have a few things that I really care about. I got really good at traveling out of a carry-on and could not buy things because I couldn't fit them in my carry-on or I had to get rid of something in order to fit it in there if I really loved it so to me I I really love pared down things and I feel comfortable in my home when I have things from all of my travels like I try and collect some piece of art from when I'm traveling I have this uh, like wooden Rooster sculpture on my wall that I got in Mexico City at this market and it's like one of my favorite things that I own. And they gave it to me in this clear plastic bag. So I was walking around Mexico City for like (laughs) the entire rest of the day with this giant rooster like head. Um and things like that make me happy. It's it's the memory. So I just surround myself with the happiest stuff that I possibly can. But I mean it's hard.
3: (laughs) But then because you were living with a boyfriend for a long time and then you had to switch Um, switch apartments multiple times and I mean I'm sure the the breakup of the boyfriend was hard but what was harder the losing sense of home being displaced from this relationship
4: yeah it that was a really really hard time I had come back from traveling I was gone for like a year and Uh, My boyfriend and I had broke up like a little bit before and got back together to like try it out again. So we had got this new apartment and I finally felt like settled. It was after traveling for so long, moving from so many apartments in New York, like I felt like so happy to be in this really great apartment that we found and things just like started to not go well. And after a few months only, we ended up calling it and it was right when all of my recipes were due and every single day from like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. I was running to the store to find like weird ingredients that I needed to finish testing this stuff and it was an absolutely manic crazy time and when I turned the book in as far as that portion of it I was like, do I stay here? What do I do? Like, do I overextend my budget to just mentally feel stable or do I find another place? And it was a very difficult time to work through. It had been a really hard two years in general, like for health reasons, for, it just felt like there were all these amazing things on paper that were happening with my career, but personal life and just personal self and wellness was just like completely tanking and it kept tanking for a while. So I wanted to figure out how to get myself out of that. And how did you do that? um, It it took a while. Um, I don't know if it's anything specifically that I did more so just time, but things started to really just change. I really put the time in to think about what was going on in my life and, and how I could change it. And my sister had moved to the city really only recently she is um going to med school in the bronx and she had to live on the upper east side and turns out her roommate from before wasn't gonna live with her and she was like maybe we should try and live together and found this amazing apartment that she facetimed me from and i was like sign the lease on the spot (laughs) i didn't even go and see it because there was a kitchen range and breakfast counter and i was just like done that's all i need and um, spring of last year we moved in together and everything just kind of shifted like the light in the apartment is amazing I was in this new neighborhood that I could explore I was kind of out of Brooklyn which I had been in Brooklyn for seven years so I just completely shifted my energy and space and that helped a lot until I finished the book and all these projects and then kind of had a second to process what had just happened to me over the past few years and it was really hard so I had never really felt like that I had been doing breakfast club events for the past four or so years worked with incredible chefs meeting met incredible people but it's it's not something I could really monetize it's it's my whole career has been a series of like extremely passionate art projects that I've been able to like just barely finance to like keep my lifestyle the way that I want it to but I wanted something bigger and I was at this like weird crossroads space where I could keep doing what I was doing and probably be fine but I wanted to create bigger change bigger ideas and projects so it was so what did you do in order to like change your mindset? Um, I went to LA to, to stay with my friends and get some sunshine and um, I started creating lists of just very few, very small things that I needed to accomplish that day and slowly it just, it starts making you feel a little bit better. I started working out more and like consistently, which is something I had never been consistent about. And I don't know, people from the other side always tell you oh you should work out you should meditate you should do all this stuff and you kind of look at them with like a huge eye roll in the back of your head and you're just like whatever you're a runner like I'm never going to be that person but it's weird the different moments in your life you kind of completely shift mentalities, and you're like mm, I'm a runner now actually never thought I would be here but I really want to know how you did that
3: <laughs> every day I wake up and I'm like I should really meditate or do yoga and then I'm like nah you know something else really gets in the way yeah. But I should
4: but that's the that's like the forced wellness issue is that wellness is supposed to make you feel good like all this stuff is supposed to change your life and make you feel better but If you're forcing it and it's not happening in a natural way, like a little push is good, but then you just feel even worse than you did before. You know, the one thing that I actually feel like really changed me was going to acupuncture. And I think that that's maybe because I treated my acupuncturist a little bit too much like a therapist also, but she is incredible at Uh, Eastern medicine so it was learning about food my body type acupuncture just mental everything and I just felt like it was this really safe space so I started diving deeper into all of these other wellness things and and just trying stuff like I before I go to sleep now I write down my schedule for the next day so I don't wake up and have that like panicked feeling of like I have so much to do but like what do I even do first I know and in the early morning when I wake up, I try not to have any technology and I plan out my ritual by every 10 minutes. I have something different to do, but it's like, make tea, stretch, um, meditate for 10 minutes, take my adaptogens in some way. Every 10 minutes, that's interesting.
3: I guess that's those are very small marks that you can hit.
4: Yeah, and it's Reading, I schedule a time for reading. It's and it's really helped. It's helped me like show up for myself first and do all of the stuff that I need to do for myself to get mentally ready to do everything else. And I mean, this morning. I didn't get up and do my thing and that's fine. And I'm not going to hate on myself for it. Like I, I I've learned to just be kinder to myself. I feel like people are really harsh when they don't do these things that they feel like they're supposed to do to be productive and efficient and successful. But that's just like, it's not how life works. You feel different every day. I am curious um, what your
3: alternative to work is because you probably work all the time because you have so much to do. Do you have time that's not work time?
4: Yeah, I love I love hanging out with my friends, and I watch a lot of movies and TV. Um, I don't know you. Even in school, I was I was like that. Everyone was working, and the fashion design program is really one of the most rigorous programs as far as a time commitment. But I still did all my work and like figured out how to like go out and do all these things. So it's just prioritizing what's important to you and. Um, What's the saying? Like, if you need something done, ask a busy person. Like, yeah. that's exactly <laughs> how I feel. Like, I, I'm precious with my time. Like, I, I take it really seriously, and I take my personal time very seriously. So,
3: okay, so we're gonna do a speed round. Well, actually, no. First, we're gonna talk about our project together, which yes. I'm super, super <laughs> passionate about, um, because, I. Uh, of course love talking to women and finding out, you know, what makes them tick and like having these deeper conversations. And you love breakfast. And so we decided to do something together, which was so much fun because you you brought um, an art director's eye, which I feel like, you know, after all my time at Food & Wine, I have a lot of that, but you're bossy in a really great way, <laughs> um, you know, of knowing. So we did a um, breakfast for dinner at the Nomad Hotel. And we invited 10 amazing women. And uh, Emily got us pajamas and then put the name of the event, which was Salon de Omelette, on the pajamas. They were shapeless and formless, which I thought was actually really good and gray so that everybody looked the same and no one looked too sexy, although some people right. do look better in shapeless pajamas than I others. I think everyone looked amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, they looked amazing, but not, you know, like plumage, bird plumage. and um, And then you were very particular about like how we put the comforters on the floor and then everybody got under comforters and revealed all kinds of things to themselves. That was about themselves to others. So is this the type of project that is one of those things that stimulates your brain to do
4: other things? So much. I mean, this is just that passionate feeling of like always wanting to connect people over food in a, in a really creative way that makes people remember it. And, challenges them to be really candid about business, themselves, any kind of personal things that are somewhat off limits in a business setting. We wanted to create this project just to like get everyone into comfortable clothes so they could just leave whatever's on their mind at the door and get under the covers in like the most beautiful suite I've ever been to. And we just like tore apart the hotel room with like comforters and blankets and pillows and everyone got really cozy. And it was just like immediately people who were not friends would have to be friends. Cause you're literally sitting under
3: a comforter with them. And, and
4: it was great.
3: I, I loved it. I also loved the fact that the feeling of, you know, having changed into your truer self, uh, you know, was clear because we changed clothes and also, when people left, they wanted to hold on to that identity, and every left in their pajamas.
4: Yeah, people would like late at Sarah night in the winter Parker style leave with their pajamas like slightly styled up, like while they were <laughs> calling their cars and taking the subway home, which I thought was the best part. And I mean, we stayed much later than I think we were supposed to because people just didn't want to leave. It was so comfortable and warm, and it felt like a really safe place. So, um, so Emily and I are
3: creating more of these conversations around the country in more extraordinary hotel rooms with more extraordinary humans. It's called the Gobi Room, and uh, we're really excited. So, we'll tell you more about it on another as we continue and launch them. And so, look out for for the Gobi Room from the two of us. Yeah. Now I have a speed round of questions for you.
4: Oh jeez. Okay. <laughs> uh,
3: these are all single important words that you can interpret any way that you want. So I'm not going to ask you the question, I'm going to tell you the word. Want.
4: Um, Clarity. Need. Um, Creative energy. Trust. Trust. Yourself.
3: Okay, awesome. Next, we always close the show with uh, paying it forward to a woman in the hospitality industry who inspires you, who doesn't really get the recognition that they deserve. Who would that be for you?
4: Uh, it's two women who own a law firm called, and their names are Agatha Kluke and Sonia Farber. They—they're not just mylers, but they're the lawyers of all of these incredible female-owned startups, and not just women. Like they're just so passionate about helping startups and and brands, and I think. Having good lawyers is the safest way to project your ideas onto the world. So I'm so thankful for them. And then my lawyer is Drew. Not a not a woman, but he's amazing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and what's the secret to the uh, to the women lawyers? Like, what makes them great lawyers? Uh,
4: they they curate this really group amazing group of clients. Like, a lot of them are doing some kind of like social element to their company like it's you can tell that they really care and they're passionate about each of the people who they take on and are somewhat emotionally invested as well and i mean they're just not only ridiculously talented but i trust them to understand from a creative perspective from an emotional perspective and that's an incredibly rare thing to have from such a rigid seeming industry so i think they're really helping to like topple these stereotypes and they're they're doing it really well
3: (laughs) so when we look ahead emily's going to topple more stereotypes so you have to follow her on instagram for anything that you might want to see uh what's your instagram it's emily elise miller elise with a y -Y (laughs) e-l-y-s-e emily it's been great to have you on speaking broadly today uh i could talk to you forever and i want to just sit inside that brain the the notion of like doing YouTube tutorials to learn how to make Ethiopian breakfast. Like I, I need more of that in my life. (laughs) And, um, I want to thank Matt and Nina for being the engineer and co-producer today. And for all of you out there listening, if you like what you hear, subscribe to speaking broadly, wherever you can hear podcasts, there'll be more conversations like these that show the ways in which we can thrive in our lives And look forward to talking to all of you again next week. Have a great
2: week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org